Hi, and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Are you ready for the word? Last one. Two hours worth, I reckon. Um, I've always had a problem with speaking too fast, though, so we could get it done in hour 30. Um, so uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 49 to 53 says this. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from Jairus' house, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter who had been sick. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. Um, When I was, uh, uh, my first few years of being youth pastor, I got into the really bad habit of um, punching people. And I would go up to someone and I would just give them a, a nice solid whack on the shoulder. All right, and it was my greeting. Instead of a high five, I adopted this really, really, really odd thing of, of giving the dudes a, a whack on the, on the arm. Better than some other things that I adopted. I remember one Sunday morning, I was on the front doors welcoming people to church and I couldn't stop winking at people. And I'm like, Jackson, stop winking. And I'd be like, how's it going? And people are like, who is this dude on the front door? So there I am, I'm at youth and I'm, I'm punching people um, just to say hello. And one time uh, there's this group of guys and James Collis was in the group and, uh, and I walk up and, um, and I punch um, someone, one of the, the five or six dudes that were there and I punch him on the arm. And uh, he goes, ah, why do you always punch me? <laughs> and then another guy in the group goes, Jackson punches people he loves. And then another guy in the group goes, Jackson never punches me. (laughs) And from that day to this day, every time I see that guy, I give him a solid whack on the arm. I remember um, there was, uh, I've never been particularly cool. It's not my strength. It's not my sweet spot. I got other strengths. I'm totally fine with who I am. Um, Who I am works for me, but I've never been particularly cool. And over time, um, before I had Alyssa to dress me, um, I, I enlisted the help of some mates, and one of those guys was Junior Pelasuma. Um, I remember there was a shoe that went around. I don't know if you remember it, and you can help me with the name, but it was like a, it was like a Nike Roshi. Uh, Roshi? Yeah, Nike Roshi. And uh, they were really cool, and they were the it thing. So Junior uh, decided to bless me one day, and he took me to Hype DC in Miranda, and we bought me, he bought me some, some Roshis. Um, and they were all the rage. They were all the rage at the time. And that night was a Friday night, and um, we had literally gone to Westfield. I had, I'd, I'd been wearing shoes. Um, we went to Westfield. I got new shoes, kept them on, and went to youth. And I remember it was hang time in the foyer and a, and a guy walked in 
And I remember him just looking around at everyone, looking down at my feet, and he said to me, do you have to wear Roshis to come here? And the conviction that I felt in that moment, so much so that I ran to my car, put my other shoes on, and never wore the Roshis to youth again. And I felt God say to me, Jackson, it is your mandate to draw the circle as wide as you possibly can. Like, Jackson, how many people can you include and help feel at home through your life? How many people can you meet and them to feel instantaneously comfortable in your presence, the way that you speak, the way that you act, the way that you live, the way that you invite, the way that you're open with your life and with your faith? How many people can you include? So I would... For the, for the remainder, and still to this day, continually think about this analogy of drawing the circle as wide as I possibly could, not wanting to make one person feel like they were an outsider if they were around me. And I'm so grateful as a young man who never had it all together that Jesus Christ drew the widest circle in existence that he would say this gospel is for all people. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. The gospel of Jesus Christ is you get it if you want it. Anyone who believes, and it isn't even conditional on how you act today, yesterday or tomorrow. He says, if you believe in me, I will give you access to my Father in heaven. This is the gospel. And he drew the widest circle that man has ever known. In fact, I would say there is not one force, organisation, person in all of human history that has been able to include all of humanity in his story if they so choose. Every other story has a caveat of you must do X, Y, Z to belong in this circle, but not with Jesus. And so along this, I want to live my life drawing the widest circle possible. No one feels like the outcast to the best of my ability if they're in my presence, a revelation that I got. I was pretty struck by this story in the Bible when Jesus draws a very tight circle where he says, there's a girl who needs a miracle, but all of you, you big crowd, I'm really sorry, the circle is going to be real tight this time. The gospel for everyone, biggest circle imaginable. But then I came to realise that there are times in life, times in God's plan for humanity, times in God's plan for a person where he says only a privileged few get to be in this circle. Only, and and here's the thing, (laughs) I do believe it's an opt-in or opt-out circle. And if you want to have the privilege of being part of this miracle, you're going to have to opt in yourself. You're going to have to live a life, Jackson, where I actually believe this. I believe that the people who will be let into God's like that tight Jesus circle where you get to be a part of the miracle are the people who have a conviction and a revelation in whatever way God gives you the language that you would draw the wider circle. If you draw a wide circle, God will say, I'll let you into the small circle. And he says, with this particular miracle, only Peter, James and John and the mother and father are allowed in the room. Only they are allowed on the inside. Everyone else, you've got to be on the outside. And here's 
the revelation that I feel God just drop into my heart for tonight and for, I pray, a, a core revelation that we may be able to carry to our world. Is the people who are allowed inside the circle are the people who are going to add faith to the situation? Are you going to live a life where you walk around adding faith to the situation like Peter, James and John? Or are you going to live a life, Jackson, where you live a life like the crowd and you're so fixated on reality, you're so fixated on what you can see with your plain eyes that you're in the big crowd but you're not allowed in the little circle? See, Jesus' power was contingent on the environment that he was in. So much so that in the miracle, he contained his environment. So when he walks into his hometown, everyone is so familiar with him that he couldn't do any miracles there because they were so familiar. But if if I can just go to another level, I think they were judgmental. Not just familiar. I think they're like, I know this guy. I know where he's come from and I know where he's going and I'm writing a story right now that he can't do nothing. And here's what I feel. If you want to get into the inner circle where you get to be a part of the little girl's miracle, where you get to see God move in a family member or a friend or someone at work, you get to see um, God move and be in the inner circle of what God does in a service. He says, you're allowed to acknowledge reality. You're allowed to be like she's dead. I don't think God is ever asking us to deny reality of what is going on. It's contrary to what Jesus, what He does. He acknowledges the feelings and emotions that come with reality. So we're not talking about hyper faith where you can't acknowledge reality. I'm I'm struck by that um, when Lazarus dies, he wept with Mary. He acknowledged reality. He's like, this is sad. This is hard. But... In this circumstance, you're allowed to acknowledge reality, but you're not allowed to make a judgment of this is what the outcome is going to be. So you're allowed to say this girl is dead, but you're not allowed to say she'll always be dead. And depending on what attitude you and I choose to, to, to live by, what faith we choose to carry, we will either find ourselves crying with the crowd or being on the inside of a miracle with Jesus, watching Him do something amazing. And I've, I just, I've started picking up this language of God, I want to be on the inside. I don't want to be on the outer room in, like with the crowd. God, I just deeply desire with my life, if you're doing a miracle, I want to be a part of it. If you're on the move, that's where I want to be. God, I want to be on the inside. Three places that I want to be on the inside of is number one, I want to be on the inside of people's lives. You know, um, it's so crazy because there's just some encounters that Alyssa and I have had over the last few years that no one would ever know that they were on the inside of a miracle for us. I remember um, we were standing out near the grand piano and we struck up a conversation with a pastor, Alyssa and I, and... um, and this pastor was telling us, like, it's so good to be in my 40s because I've, I just feel like I stopped caring what anyone thinks anymore. It's so good to be in my 40s. And Alyssa says, I wish I had that. I wish I could just stop caring what people think. The pastor turned around and looked at us and goes, you should pray for it. I believe you're going to get it. And from that day when Alyssa started praying and she would say, 
it's my 40th year. It's my 40th year. This pastor has no idea. It's my 40th year. From that day, she has been the most free, unselfconscious, of like uninsecure woman, more than I've ever known in our whole relationship. And it wasn't a big altar call. It wasn't a big ministry moment. It was someone just engaged in a conversation in faith and said, I believe you can have it. I remember in, um, in 2019 um, or 2018, I, they all get mixed up, sorry. Uh, I went to Horizon Conference and every year at Horizon Conference, I have a sort of like fall on the floor in tears, God speaking to me moment. And uh, God, God clearly said to me, and, and it's cliche like, but it meant something to me. It's, he said, uh, Jackson, I've given you expansion. And, um, and something broke open on the inside. Anyway, the next time I preached, um, you know, I hate to say that there's bad and good times you preach, but I did say we, do, we, we like to acknowledge reality, okay? <laughs> All right, so let's not just pretend every time you preach is a good time. It ain't, let me tell you. Horizon used to tell you that, actually. <laughs> um, right? And... And after this Horizon Conference where God spoke to me, that the, the, the Sunday night soon thereafter, we just had the most intense, amazing move of God that night. And I preached and um, the, the team ministered and it was unbelievable. Well, I went home deeply scared because um, not that anyone else was thinking that, but I just thought, God, I'll never be able to top that. Like that, that is the pinnacle of my life right there. You know, these are irrational fears, but it's this internal dialogue of insecurity and fear that just grips you. And we had um, the late Christine Petter, who I love and miss dearly. She was at my kitchen table and she's cutting cucumbers for a salad. And if you know Christine, she's nonchalant, doesn't care, very, very direct. She's like, what's going What's What's happening with you as she's cutting the cucumbers? What's your problem? I... You know, in shorthand, because she doesn't like an extended story. Uh, although she was prone to tell one herself. Um, I told her in shorthand, fear, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't even look up at me. Oh, doll, that's your new normal. And in my spirit, it's like these words latched on. Like on my heart and this... This, these words latched on and would not let go. And for the next, still to this day, <laughs> I would just say, it's my new normal. This is my new, I'm not gonna bow to fear or anxiety or insecurity. I got a new normal now. I had a moment with God and my life has changed and now I've got a new normal. I remember um, my, nan was, um, my nan was diagnosed with um, with. Uh, really severe melanoma, and um, my my grandfather had passed away from cancer, and it, it was a really traumatic um, it was a really traumatic passing. And both my my grandparents um, loved Jesus, and um, and my nan still does. And she her one prayer was she wouldn't even say the name of cancer; she would say the big C, the big C. And um, she was just we're in the car one day, and we're driving. And she's like, Jackson, I just don't want to go from the big C. I'll go any other way, just not the big C. And 
I don't know what I was, I wasn't particularly feeling God. But I just said, Nen, the big C isn't your portion. That's not your portion. And so, like a year and a half later, like, you know, there's operations and then another, another round of melanoma surfaces. And I'm just talking to her about it. How are you feeling? And she's like, you know, but it's not my portion. I just keep telling myself, that's not my portion. And I watched my words that were just said in simple faith latch on to someone and give it that word be the antidote to their fear. I've just decided through experience, I've just gotten to the point where I'm going to live my life being like, God, I believe you're going to do a miracle in every person's life that I come into contact with. And I'm going to prepare for it by adding faith every step of the way. So I was at work at the ICC and I'm, um, I'm, we're, around, we're around all of these um, we just, we're having a smoko, actually. I wasn't smoking, though. You'd be happy to know. Um, uh, having our smoko. And, um, and this guy is having marriage troubles, right? And um, all, all the boys are ripping into him, you know what I mean? Like, just saying the worst stuff. I'm sitting there thinking, like, I'm feeling sick to my stomach. Like, it is not okay to say stuff like that. I feel the conviction of God. Jackson, you've got to say something. And so we're about to catch an elevator, you know, seven of them piled in, me and this guy were conveniently left, and I just said to him, mate, I know, just going back to what we said over there, I promise you, it's not going to turn out like that. You got my faith, it's not going to turn out like that. And I remember um, another time, because now I don't have altar calls, I mean, I've got one more today, so you better respond. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> But I don't, I, don't got, I don't have altar calls any, to do anymore. Like, I can't be like, come down the front if you want ministry. I've just got an office cubicle and people around me, <laughs> all right? And so I'm going, God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And this, this one girl at work, um, she's so, like, um, her section of the business is, like, she's the only female, I think. Um, and she's in the sales section and she's just so full of fear and anxiety. And I'm like, I just felt God say, just every time you see her, encourage her. Claude, you're going to be the best there is at this. You're going to be the best there is at this. And I'm just watching this relationship and this friendship like open up. And I just already know God is preparing for me to, to bring the gospel in this situation simply because I'm deciding I want to be on the inside, God. I don't want to observe on the outside. I'm going to add my faith and I'm going to be on the inside. The second place that I want to be on the inside is I want to be on the inside of my church, of our church. If God's doing something in our church, I want to be on the inside of it. And there are a lot of observers who like to get fixated on a reality. And that is okay. We need to acknowledge reality, okay, all the time. You know, I, some people didn't like it, but if it was a bad night at youth, I would say, well, that was pretty sucky. Um, okay, we need, but at the same time, I'm not going to let myself catch myself making judgments about my youth ministry's future, my life group's future, a person that I know's future. I'm going to continually bring my faith. In fact, when I sit there in the Word, I know I'm, it's so funny, I know, Alyssa and I have been married for a while now, there's a few different types of encouragements that she gives me when I'm preaching, okay? There's a so good, that's it, and I know I am killing it. Then there's a like, yep, 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 this is good. And I know at that point, I'm like, 
I'm not doing very well, but I've got a friend who's trying to help me. She believes that we can turn this around. And then there's like the uh uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like, all right, honey, wrap this up. It ain't going anywhere soon. But all of them, but all of them, the foundation is faith. And I sit there because the Bible says, if two or three of you agree in my name, it shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. And I know there's hundreds of people here, but I've decided that I'm going to be at least one of the three who decide to agree. If something, if a promise of God is released in this place, I'm like, yes, you will find me agreeing. Because I know, I know that the power of life and death is in the tongue, the Bible says. I know that the greatest weapon that God's given me is this thing right here. But out of the same mouth comes blessings and curses. Am I going to live letting blessings come out? The Bible says in in Proverbs 18 verse 21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. It says, Psalm 107 verse 2, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm not going to stay quiet when we're praising our God. I'm not going to stay quiet when the Word is preached because I'm going to add my agreement and I'm going to bring my faith. Because if I cannot manage a simple under the breath Amen in here. How on earth, when God tells me to go and encourage a guy named Charlie, which God tells me to do every day, three cubicles down from me, how on earth am I ever going to be able to do that if I can't add my faith at church? This is, I am convinced if you want to be on the inside of what God's doing. Isn't it crazy? We can be on the outside if you want. The girl lived. It's just a lesson to me. God will do what he wants with or without me. God's going to do so much stuff. I'm just determined I'm going to live 100% of my life. And I believe that is also a key. It's being genuine in every area of your life. I'm always in faith. Number three, I want to be on the inside of what God's doing in the world. I want to be on the inside of what God's doing in the world. Um, Have you ever looked back on something that you've said in the past and just realised, wow, I was wrong? (laughs) Do you have those moments? I have a clear moment of when I was five or six my nan driving me down um, uh, Prince Charles Parade, um, the boulevard, does that turn into, anyway, the boulevard um, type at Sharks Automotive down in Caringbar. We're at those traffic lights, BP on one side, Sharks Automotive on the other side, Subaru Factory on the other side, and houses on the other side, if you're getting my picture. And I was five or six, and I just said, hey, nan, did you know there are cameras inside of all of the three lights of a traffic lights and they're watching us and they are the ones that decide whether we get to go, slow down or stop. And I remember my nan sitting there being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A five-year-old and they're silly things they say. I just look back at that and I'm just like, 
I was so dumb. I remember being so confident of what I said. <laughs> so bad. I remember there was, um, there was a youth leader and he was on the quirky side and um, I, was, I was really trying. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't be laughing at that. I'm a quirky fella, you laughing at me? Um, so um, we're just in a zone, that's okay. Um, so uh, quirky youth leader, um, trying, really, trying really hard to find a place for him to serve and just find the obviously a great part of the team, but we hadn't found that grace lane where he would just feel like he could give his whole heart, soul, life. And for about two years, he was a great member of our team, but he could not find his fit. And one day, um, a grandmother of our church brought her French grandson to church, uh, to youth. And I remember being at the fountain and um, just outside, outside the atrium, and I remember um, meeting this this French guy. He had he was you know year eight or year nine. He'd moved over from France um, temporary to live with his grandmother, and um, I'm meeting, and he's got rough English and you know French accent. I am French. I was like very cool. Um, on the quirkier side. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this youth leader and I'm going to see um, if, if this one youth leader can look after this, youth leader, uh, this new French boy. So I go get the youth leader. Okay, hey, mate, guy, can't speak English very well. Can you look after him for tonight? Be a real big blessing. We want to love him, you know, serve him. So I'm like, so-and-so meet so-and-so, so-and-so meet so-and-so. And, uh, and the French guy goes... Hello, oui, oui, it's me. <laughs> I am so-and-so. And then this youth leader goes, Parlez-vous français? <laughs> and then this guy goes, And this guy goes, And I had no idea that this youth leader was fluent in French. And in that one moment, he and this guy, full-blown connected. The, the French guy's visa didn't work out. Um, and about six or so weeks, he left, um, he left to go back to France. And um, fast forward six or so months, the grandmother comes up to me um, and goes, just so you know, my grandson has changed what he wants to do with his life. He's decided that he's going to go to Bible college and he wants to be a pastor. Fast forward another three or four years. Hey, Jackson, my grandson is at Bible college studying to be a pastor. All from one guy who, no matter not finding his fit, no matter not feeling at home, he decided, I'm going to add faith and contribute to this guy and revolution this, guy, this guy's life. I might get um, the band up. Here's what I know, okay, is that God is in the business of proving people wrong if they decide not to add faith. 
I know that if I choose, I'm not going to add my faith. And, and there are times where I am like, no, reality is reality. This is going to be how it's going to be. And we will go where we're going to go. And I, you know, when I choose to not engage my faith, I actually have a cognitive knowing God will prove me wrong. And I'm being silly and foolish by, saying, by letting these words come out of my mouth. I know deep down that God is on the move in our world despite reality, despite what it's like when I try in, in the infant stages to open up a conversation about faith at my workplace right now. When we're sitting in a hundred cubicles and I just, I'm like, God, how do I make an in? But it immediately gets shut down. There is a reality there. But I'm not gonna let the reality start to impact the faith that I bring to my world. Cause I am deeply convinced that Jesus Christ is on the move that He's still the answer, that anyone who says otherwise will be proven wrong. But I am determined that I'm gonna add faith everywhere that I go. And at the same time that I know God is on the move, that I know God is doing something amazing, at the same time, I had a really, really interesting experience in my last few weeks of youth. So everyone know Liam Sanchez? Give it up for Liam. So I was preaching at youth and it just totally tanked. Like it was, I, could, I, I wasn't liking preaching. The youth ministry wasn't liking me preaching. Like let's call spade a spade. It was just tanking hard. Chris and I um, were laughing. Um, we laugh sometimes because like sometimes you get a bit of saviour complex and you're like, I will turn this around. But then you end up preaching for like an hour and 20 minutes, constantly believing that you're gonna turn it around, when really it's just like, let's go to life groups, all right? So, you know, that particular night, God moves at Horizon Youth really powerfully. I hope that's coming across as well. Like it's not always tanking. Um, just make sure you get, you know, Talia to preach. Then she is not Jackson though, all right? Anyway, so we just tanking. We had already made the decision um, with Pastor Brad that we were gonna um, finish up in, in a month or so. So this was playing around in my mind. And so after 10 minutes, I was like, this is not going anywhere. I was like, let's wrap it up. We'll go have an early night. So I was like, Liam was sitting where Link is and I said, all right, Liam, suppose you should come up now. Come on, Liam. And so the whole youth ministry and I watched the keyboard player walk up onto the stage. Like that's how bad it was. Like it was tanking. So we just, Liam's entering the stage. I'm like, give it up for Liam. Literally the, the, the most noise that Horizon Youth made that night was celebrating Liam on the keys. So then I'm there and I'm just like, all right, what am I gonna do to wrap this up? And then Liam starts playing. And I'm like, oh no. I started to feel the anointing. I started to, I just, I could just sense God is right here to speak. Like, and He wants to speak right now. And I just felt the heavy anointing. So I just started one by one prophesying over people. And I 
I, I think every youth leader, most teenagers, 90%, pretty good proportion, were loving it. We were just like, I, we would have prophesied over 20, 30, 40 people that night. Like one after the other, there was like one guy and like, you know, you know the young guy that, that, you know, has never gotten a prophecy before and he acts out every week at youth. And then I'm like, I'm like prophesying over him for like five minutes and it just keeps coming. I can't stop seeing his future. So I just say it again and it just, it's like this, this story unravelling through like as I'm speaking and I'm just like prophesying over him and I'm like, everyone can just sense in the room. This is unbelievably amazing. So the night ends and Alyssa and I are driving home and then I just got so sad because we had made the decision to leave and finish up on our role and I just, I just had this realisation. That's it. I don't get to do that anymore. The season's ending. I started to think to myself, gosh, I wish I had a prophesied more. Met with Talia. I said, Talia, prophesy every week, all the time. You'll regret it if you don't. And I, I just had this realisation that seasons change. We don't acknowledge that sometimes. Seasons change and seasons move on and life moves on. Do you know you and I only have today to add faith that we know about? Like in your workplace, things will change. It will end. I'll get a new job. I've got tomorrow to add faith to my workplace. That's all I got. I've just got tomorrow. And if I keep saying, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. If I just put it off for another day all the time, I'll get to the end and say, man, I was a youth pastor and I hardly ever prophesied. I'm like, this is heartbreaking. And God said to me, Jackson, don't make that mistake because you've got the same opportunity in the next season. You may not do an altar call anymore. You may not have a microphone anymore. This isn't personality based. Jackson, go to work and add faith. On the train, add faith. At the shop, add faith. With your family, add faith. Wherever you are, Jackson, would you just get a revelation of the power of your words? Are you gonna go to work? Is it Sunday today? Great. Are you gonna go to work tomorrow? And are you gonna decide, no matter what I've been like for the past seven years at my workplace, if someone, if there's an opportunity to add faith to someone's life, I'm gonna add faith today. And I'm gonna say, I'm believing the best for you. I don't believe it's gonna work out like that. I believe your kid's gonna get through that every day. I'm just gonna choose to add faith. Would you stand to your feet with me? The one Scripture that I've just been feeling as we close our night tonight is Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9. The Lord reached out and tu- with His hand and touched my mouth and He said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. I have put my words in your mouth. Come on, would you just lift your hands with me? God, I just thank You right now. You have put Your words in our mouths. 
You have put Your words, You have declared over us. You have given us the mandate. Add faith, Jackson. Add faith. Add faith. Add faith. Contribute faith. He's saying, I'm calling you onto the inside of what I'm doing. I'm calling you into the inside of what I'm doing in this church. I'm calling you to the inside of what you're do- I'm doing globally and in our nation. But all you've got to do is add faith. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.